The Good News of the Good Samaritan, based on Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 37. Hurricane Ivan destroyed thousands of homes in Pensacola, Florida in September 2004. Last week, entire neighborhoods were swept into the sea in Libya, claiming over 5,000 lives when two old dams broke and wrought destruction in their wake. The week before that, 2,000 lives were taken and entire communities crumbled in the devastating earthquake in Morocco. What if it isn't enough to just love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, strength, and mind? What if survival is not a question of belief? Mr. Rogers taught us when scary things happen, we should look for the helpers. In Libya, in Morocco, Pensacola, Lahaina, and so many more, there were people who stood up to help one another, even when they themselves were injured. They found a way to help save the lives of strangers and friends alike. about a man who was beaten by robbers and left for dead on the road. Some people walked right past him, but then someone else came, a person from a totally different region than the injured man, who stopped, bent down, 
and carried the injured person to shelter, offering their every resource along the way. What kind of neighbor will you be? Let's give Jim a hand for that beautiful reading. <laughs> Human beings can be so beautiful sometimes. Someday in my life, I, I'm going to put together a Thin Places tour, a tour where I take folks to places, to those thin places in my life where people People I didn't even know showed me grace. Where people I didn't even know not only helped me, but went the extra mile just to get me to safety, just to get me back on the road. One of the places will be this little town called Freeman, South Dakota. Cindy and I were just getting on in our lives. 
I was a music teacher in Hudson, South Dakota. She was working in Sioux Falls, traveling about 45 miles both ways in this old 1963 VW bug. We didn't have the name of it on here. You might see a picture of it here in a minute. Yes, we didn't have the 53 on there, but it certainly was our, our car. And uh, we loved this car. We picked it out because guess what it was covered in inside? Just blue shag carpet. <laughs> we, we had just had Ben, our first child. I, w- I was trying to make a few extra bucks on the side uh, of my teaching job by being a football scout of all things for a football coach. I got 20 bucks to do this on Friday nights. Uh, listen, I didn't know anything about the ins and outs of football, but all he wanted me to do was actually copy down how they were standing when they were doing their plays. I, I just went there and drew circles where the nine players were set up. And I know you're thinking, nine players, Brooke, there's 11. No, not in our little town. That was a nine-man football team. <laughs> and it was, it was raining that night. I had driven the Volkswagen about 55 miles to this game. And as I was heading back home, I had just gotten out of that town, Freeman, when my VW started missing and then backfiring, and then I was on the side of the road. And about then, God, and we know it's not God, right, decided to open up the heavens and just started pouring on me. Thunder, lightning shook my little bug. I I suddenly felt kind of overwhelmed. I felt very small. Just what I needed, I thought. This car was our lifeline. We couldn't have made it. We couldn't make it without Cindy working. And if she couldn't work and get this car going, she'd be fired. And I didn't have like five bucks in my bank account. I thought of the last time I asked my mom and dad for a loan. Oh, the shame of it all. The dreaded silence after the ask. And then... My mother, dad wouldn't even speak because he knew he'd just get too mad. My mom saying, I guess we could loan you just a bit more, but Brooke, you owe us 300 bucks, you know. Maybe I could ask Cindy's parents. Not on your life. (laughs) But just then, I was brought back to reality by a a siren and some flashing lights. There was a cop behind me, pulled up. He was flashing his flashlight on my back license plate, and I was wondering, oh gosh, please let it be still in the right ear, right? I rolled down the window, sir, would you mind stepping out of your car? I I know it's raining, I've I've got a raincoat for you, I'd like you to step inside my police car. So I put on this rain jacket, it was like twice my size, and I walked through the downpour to his car, got inside, and he asked me for his license, and then he ran it, you know. And then he said, sir, where do you live? I told him I lived in Hudson, South Dakota, that I was a band director. I told him I was scouting for our football team and showed him my drawings of the neighborhood town's plays. It was Freeman's town's plays. And he kind of laughed and he said, you know, my son's a quarterback. I think you got him misplaced on there. That's a... <laughs> but then he said, I tell you what, I'm bored on my brains here. How about I take you back home and you come and get your car tomorrow when it stops raining and then he did it no ticket no lecture no hassle at 11 p.m. on a Friday night 
he drove me all the way home, 53 miles, one way. And that's not all. When I hitched a ride back to Freeman, South Dakota that next day, that next morning, my car wasn't there. I went to the police station. It wasn't there. And I thought, you've got to be kidding me. If they put that in a compound, I am going to be mad. My officer wasn't working. But the secretary there told me to check the Vandenberg garage. And I did. And there was my car. They actually washed it, cleaned it up. And I thought to myself, oh boy, how much is this going to set me back? But when I went inside and asked about my car, they said they had already fixed it. And before you asked, they said about how much it's going to cost, it's all taken care of. Can you believe that? All taken care of. And then he said, hey, by the way, nice shag carpet. <laughs> and I got into my car. And I wept for joy. That next morning, for some reason, Cindy and I got up and we went to church. <laughs> Not something we always did back then. And there at the church, the choir, all six of them at this little church, sang this song. Beyond the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, good news, announcing peace, proclaiming news of happiness, God's love reigns, God's love reigns, you know that one? A little bit, some of you do, I think. No, I won't forget that little place in Freeman, South Dakota. That place where God's grace really did reign. Just like that Jewish man on the side of the road won't forget the inn that the Good Samaritan brought him to. That place where he was brought out of the cold and given shelter and food and healing and grace. By the way, I just had this thought this week. Maybe that man on the side of the road in the story of the Good Samaritan. That man left beaten and broken. Maybe this wasn't just a story that Jesus told. Could that man have been Jesus? Maybe this story is his story of grace and mercy. His story of transformation. So on this Thin Place tour, I won't just take you to places that I found grace. I want to take you to places where other people have found grace and mercy and shelter. I'd like you to take you to great places of grace where beautiful people in our country and in our world, against all odds, have found the grace to give shelter to others in desperate need. I'd like to take you to Mitchell, South Dakota. I lived there for a while where once a young woman who had desperately knocked on my door at two in the morning woke us up. She was beaten and raped by her husband. And I was able to take her to a shelter, a woman's shelter, where she was given comfort, food, 
and most importantly, spiritual strength and, and money to relocate and start over. By the way, she's now a nurse and a volunteer at a shelter herself. She found grace and chose to pay it forward and give it to someone else. But I'm not going to stop there. I'm going to go east, far northeast to Danielle Walsh's home area. I know she's watching. She's in Fort Worth today uh, at her family gathering for Josie. But I'd like to take you to the northeast to a couple houses. The Abyssinian Meeting House in Portland, Maine. I know that she lives near Maine or grew up near there. The Rockaby House in, in Vermont. Um, and on every stop of this part of the journey, there's, there's quite a few houses I'd like to take you to. I tell you the story, and, and more than one story, of the greatest Methodist who ever lived, I believe. The greatest Methodist who ever lived in this country, for sure. One of the greatest Americans who's ever breathed. Of one of the greatest gifts God has ever given to the human race. A woman who grew up a slave but who was responsible for forming one of the greatest rivers of love, of grace, of shelter that was ever formed. Her name is Harriet Tubman, and she is personally responsible for saving over 70 slaves' lives and bringing them to freedom. Harriet Tubman didn't do this in one trip, but by going back down to the land of slavery 13 times, risking And on those trips, she didn't do it all alone. She relied on a network, a river of trustworthy people, black and white, who who hit her, told her which way to go, told her who else she could trust. A river of loving kindness that would not stop until these people were brought to safety, until these people found shelter. And they used songs. Go down Moses, they used. And bound for the promised land. Those were her two famous ones. And and if they were real slow and she was singing that, it meant stay away. Dangerous. But it got a little faster. That meant, come on, we're going. This is the time. And after that journey, I'd take you across the oceans. The Cindy's, where where her heritage is in Sweden. Um, Cindy, my, my mate... And, and that's where her ancestors came from. And about five years ago, Cindy, she did a DNA test to find out more about her heritage. And it was there we learned that she had this famous person in her heritage. Another good Samaritan, a, a relative of Cindy's named Selma Lagerlof. Ever hear of her? Probably not. <laughs> but she is actually pretty famous. She's an author, um, very beloved by the people of Sweden. She wrote many books, but one was a children's book called The Wonderful Adventures of Nils. Cindy and I read this. Nils was a child who shrank in size to the size of a gnome or just a little midget and, or little person and flew all over Sweden on a goose. And it's a beautiful story, and they still read it today in the elementary schools there because it introduces the children to the geography of Sweden. They go all over. But there's two parts of Selma's story that, I, that stand out to me. When the Soviet Union or Russia was trying to take over Finland, she sent her Nobel Prize. She got a Nobel Prize for literature. And she mailed it to Finland and said, do whatever you have to with it. 
to beat those Russians and to defend that country. And they used that story. They never, they never did melt it down and sell it, but they used the story to raise money and as an inspirational story. And after, the, after Finland defended Russia back, they sent it back to her. But there's another part of the story, right? At almost when she died, Selma, about a year before she died, she had this friend who lived in Germany in 1940, and she was a Jewish friend. And the Jews in Germany were being captured at that time, put in gas chambers. And Selma used all of her political clout to influence the Swedish royalty. And in 1940, just 100 days before she died, on the last plane out of Germany, her friend and her family were on that plane. And they got to Sweden. And their families are still alive because of her sacrifice. I'm not even going to stop there, though. Because <laughs> this Good Samaritan ride has another place. I'm going to have you go this time back over the seas to Newfoundland. I think I've told this story before, but it's my favorite. It's in Newfoundland, in this little mining town of St. Lawrence. Lanier Phillips, this is where he found his purpose in life, where he found hope. Lanier was a black man who lived in rural Georgia, Lithonia, Georgia, during the 20s and 30s. His grandma and grandpa were slaves, had been slaves. His mom and dad were sharecroppers. He remembers as a child that the KKK would march through his black neighborhood and the whole community would cower in fear as they watched these masked men just randomly grab their dads or uncles from their shacks and beat them just to instill fear. But when World War II came along, Lanier signed up to be a soldier because the, the armed forces were more integrated and he thought he had a chance of some equality there. Uh, he thought he'd have a chance, but he was placed in the Navy, in some parts of the Navy during that time. Um, they didn't allow for integration. And he was so disappointed, he was put on the Truxton, and he thought he was going to be, you know, one of, the, one of the folks, right? But he was put down below, and he was just basically a servant. He washed clothes for the officers, he cleaned and shined their shoes, he they couldn't eat in the same place as all the white folks. And he was really disappointed. But in 1942, the Truxton headed up north, and they got into this big storm, and their ship got wrecked up against the shore in Newfoundland. And there was a fierce storm, and the ship was broken in two because of that and just started to sink, so all of the folks had to jump off. There was 156 men aboard, and so they either got on little boats and rafts or they jumped and tried to swim it. It was in the winter, raging storm. Phillips jumped and found a raft, but a lot of his black companions refused to leave because they were afraid of what the town residents might do to them when they landed. But Phillips got on a raft, and he finally got to shore, and he found this little shack, and he just collapsed. And two miners, white miners from the little town of uh, St. Lawrence, came by on a sled and happened to check it. And there he was. They put him on the sled and they took him to a hospital that they had a makeshift hospital there. And this nurse, her name was Violet Pike. 
started uh, working on him. And she couldn't figure out what this oil was on his skin. So she took a brush and she kept trying to clean his skin because she thought it was oil and she was just rubbing in there hard and, and uh, Rainier Phillips was sleeping, you know, and he, because of the pain he woke up and he said, uh, ma'am, what in the world are you doing? And she said, well, I'm trying to get this oil off your skin. And he said, no, 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 that's, that's not oil. That's the color of my skin. And he thought about how risky that was. Afterwards, he thought, maybe I'll be thrown out. He thought for sure he wouldn't be in the hospital very long. But this gal, Violet Pike, took him to her home because there wasn't enough room there in the inn or the hospital. And she took care of him. And there he was treated like royalty. He got to sit at the dining room table. He got the food first. He got the second helpings first. They treated him like a guest. They talked to him like he was a friend. They treated, they, they bought and, and made new clothing for him. He, for the first time in his life, he says, I received grace and dignity from white folks. Um, he went on to say, that this was a moment of awakening for him. He later said that humanity, the humanity showed him in St. Lawrence changed his entire philosophy of life. It gave him dreams and ambitions. It gave him a newfound sense of self-worth. And it made him realize that he could truly shape his own history. Later on, he began to apply for sonar school in the Navy. And he was refused 13 times because he was black. But he kept at it. And on the 14th time, they were so tired of him, they decided to let him go for it. They had, they, none of them thought he could get through the school, but he did. And he became the first uh, sonar technician who was black in the Navy. And later on, he became a huge spokesperson for civil rights for all Americans. All because someone had the guts to give him shelter, to be kind, to give him a place, a safe place where he was treated with dignity and kindness and respect. And so now I take my final stop on this tour right here. Are we one of those places of shelter? Can we, the people of Bear Creek United Methodist Church, be a thin place for those who need dignity, who need a safe place, who, who need grace? For years, we've hosted Camp Unity Eastside every, the, for four months every other year in our parking lot. For years, we've dedicated our lives to making a safe place for LGBTQ plus population in our midst. For years, we've supported ministries that have helped refugees and asylum seekers find shelter. Now, we currently have Madrone School, a school for those with autism and their families. And because of that, because of that commitment, we cannot kind of almost legally have a, a homeless shelter in our parking lot. Um, there's also other good news about that. Camp Eastside um, 
Camp Unity Eastside is no longer. Um, and we might lament that a little bit, but in some ways the reason for that is they all got a home. <laughs> They're all in an apartment. I've gotten to see some of them in apartments. I mean, we have placed hundreds because of Camp Unity. And we should celebrate that. But I, but I miss using the muscle, you know? I miss getting dirty that way, you know, in the parking lot. Um, and I want us to use that. So this past week, I want to announce to you that our good... God's Hands team, has connected with another homeless community. Um, and on October 15th, on Sunday night, we're going to serve our first meal at the safe parking at Lake Washington United Methodist Church. This is a safe parking for women and children. And I know I was told uh, about a couple years ago that King County is trying like crazy, to, especially families with children, to place them but that is slowed down. They are not doing as well with that. And so at that safe parking now, there's about 45, 50 folks and about 20 are kids, children. And so we have a chance to get involved in this ministry again. And I'm excited about that. But I'm excited in, in other ways because I know how you all neighbor. And I know that as you are neighboring, you are looking for ways that you can give folks shelter and grace. And I know that's what I'm doing too. And I'm hoping you're looking around here to see where you can give grace and shelter. Because we want to be that place, right? We want to be a place of shelter. I really feel like we're kind of like an underground railroad a little bit, churches. We're places where people can find shelter, place in a world that sometimes is just ugly to others. We can be that place, right? And all the people said, amen.